Welcome back to Muppets in Space, a Farscape Rewatch podcast on the incomparable. Tonight we are covering Season 1, Episode 15, Durker Returns, and Episode 16, A Human Reaction. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and joining me, as always, is my fellow co-host, somebody who does not need any mental cleansing, Jason Johnson. Uh, yeah, as, as long as this place isn't just built from my memories, I, th- I think we're okay. It's not, right? Uh, well, since I'm about 1,200 miles away from you, if you do see me down there, then yes, it is memories. Otherwise, no. Ah, Memorax, got it. Okay. That's right. And we'll get into more of that later, I'm sure, as we both like these episodes, so we probably got a lot to talk about. All right, so let's jump into the recap for Season 1, Episode 13, Durka Returns. Moya's pregnancy has weakened her ability to starburst, so they're having a bit of a rough ride. When they do finally exit Starburst, they are right on top of a ship heading towards them. And because Moira's sensors are affected too, they don't realize that until the last second. They kind of bounce slash scrape off each other. Pilot brings the ship on board and the crew go down to the docking bay to greet their new quote-unquote friends that they ran into. A man steps out of the ship and then Zan runs in saying that she's detected a massive energy weapon on board that ship. But the man says it's powered down as evidence of their peaceful intentions. He says that there are two others on board also, who are also unarmed. Rachel then hovers in, and when he hears that man's voice, he looks horrified, and says he saw his corpse, and then spits on him. He says it's him, his former torturer, Durka. Aaron says, no, that's not possible, since Durka died over 100 cycles ago. The man says, no, Rachel's actually right. He is Durka. Dun-dun-dun. So the title is right. That's right. He returns. Here he is. Uh, Rigel then goes to attack Durka again, but Crichton grabs him and holds him back. Aaron asks Durka why he's not dead of old age, when another passenger steps out of the ship and says that they saved him. His name is Salas of the Nabari. He says Durka poses no danger. He's now incapable of harm. Yeah, we'll see. Salas says they're due to rendezvous soon with another one of their ships. And in the meantime, since they got run into and are damaged, they'll need food and quarters on Moya. Durka asks if the ship has any containment cells because they're transporting a very dangerous criminal, a female Nabari named Chiana. They put her in a cell, but refuse to say what crime she has committed. Dargo shows Durka and Salas to their quarters and mentions the DRDs are repairing their ship. Chiana begs for Crichton's help, saying he wouldn't consider what she did a crime, and asks for amnesty. Salas then activates a control in his forehead, oddly enough, that makes the collar she's wearing cause her pain and she collapses. Salas says to Zan that they eliminated the evil parts of Durka's mind with a process that they call mental cleansing. But it's so intricate that they have to place the subject in cryostasis, and in Durka's case, took about 100 cycles to fix all of his evil parts. He says that Durka appreciates what was done to him, and they would have saved everyone on the Zabinian, but the crew refused to surrender. Dargo asks Salas how many warships it took to defeat the Peacekeeper command carrier, and Salas says that the Nabari have no warships. Just one of their standard host vessels engaged it, like the one that's coming for them now, to pick them up. Aaron tells Rigel to leave visitors alone, especially Durka. Aaron says that she was taught a lot about Durka, and Rigel says he knows everything he needs to. He faked his own death to save himself and left his crew for dead. Aaron tells him to ensure that Durka stays alive. She goes to see Durka, who tells her that he achieved nothing as a peacekeeper. He says the Nabari showed him a better way, and he survived the attack by faking his own death and left in the escape pod. Back at the prison cell, Crichton brings Chiana some food cubes to eat. He says that they're worried about her, and asks why. She says she doesn't respect authority. She stole food when she was hungry, stowed away, and defended herself when necessary. 
She does say that she's never killed anybody, and among her people, you can form or you undergo mental cleansing. She says they think they're doing you a favor when they do that, and she says that she'd rather be dead than have that happen to her. Then she starts banging into the door, so Crichton goes in and restrains her, and she begs him not to let them take her. Crichton goes and talks to Durka about the cleansing when a little like bomb slash hand grenade rolls in and explodes. Dargo and Aaron run in to investigate, uh, just as Rigel hovers in, and Durka grabs him by the throat and then falls back down. Crichton grabs Rigel and asks what happened, kind of rather forcefully, since he almost got blown up by Rigel. And Rigel says that the evil was there, he saw it in Durka's face. Durka says he'll confine himself, but Durka says no, they'll confine Rigel instead, and locks Rigel in his quarters. Uh, Salas thought that Chiana may have had something to do with the explosion, but she didn't. She tries to seduce him, but he sets off her collar again. Darker, meanwhile, has found explosives in Rigel's quarters and tells Crichton he's lucky that Rigel made the bomb incorrectly, or else they both would have been dead. Meanwhile, Salas tells Zan that he wants Rigel turned over to him when the ship arrives because he has flaws in his character. She says that even Rigel does not deserve mental cleansing, and Salas said even she could do with mental cleansing herself. I sense a pattern. Yeah, this guy's obsessed with mental cleansing, which we'll discuss here shortly. <laughs> so... <laughs> Tiana manages to escape from her cell and goes to Rigel's quarters. She says that, she, that he wants to be free to kill Durka, and she wants to get off of Moya, so they can make a deal. He says he can create a diversion, so she unties him, but instead he announces over the, his comm that Tiana has escaped. Craig and Aaron rush to Rigel's quarters and find him covered up in a blanket in, in the corner, and he says that she's headed for the transport hangar. Everyone starts searching for her uh, when Durka goes to Aaron and tells her that Tiana is capable of anything. Be careful. Meanwhile, Crichton finds Salas dead, lying on the ground in a pool of his own blood. Oops. Uh, Aaron and Rigel go to command, and Pilot says Chien is very good at staying hidden. He can't find her on sensors. Durka walks in and asks if Salas is dead. Aaron approaches him uh, when he suddenly attacks her and Rigel. Crichton tries to contact Dargo, but Durka's taking control of the comm system. He's tied up Rigel and says that Rigel undid the mental cleansing. Aaron wakes up and, says, and he says that he generally did feel guilty about his past, but now he can't think why. Aaron says that he murdered Salas, and he says that it's the simple things that you miss. What a guy. He tells the crew that he is in complete control of Moya, and if they don't leave her, they will die. Zan, meanwhile, has gotten down to Pilot's chamber, and he says, Pilot says that Durka anticipates all his countermeasures. Dargo meets up with Crichton and goes up a shaft to get to command, but Durka was anticipating that and traps Dargo there. He attempts to starburst with Moya, but it fails. He says that he'll kill the hostages if they don't reactivate starburst immediately. Crichton finds Chan in the cargo bay, Durka says that he will leave the comm channel open to show that he means business. He's heating up a tool and goes to burn Aaron when Rigel says he's pathetic. Durka says that he was going to save Rigel for bargaining, but now he'll just burn off his face instead. Rigel says he doesn't care anymore because Durka's a complete failure and tells him that Moy is pregnant so he can say hello to the Nabari when they arrive soon because they're not going anywhere. Tiana goes to attack Crichton, but he manages to stop her. She apologizes and says she's not used to trusting anyone. He suggests that she start trusting him. She wonders how Durka broke the cleansing and says maybe she'd be better on his side. Crichton convinces her that she's with them or on her own, so she asks what his plan is. He says she won't like it because he doesn't either, and it involves bait, i.e. Chiana. So we cut to Chiana jumping out in front of Durka, who's walking down the corridor, and tries to convince him to side with her. She asks where he got his directions to the baby that Moy is carrying because they reconfigured the ship's data to send him in the wrong direction. She leads him to a room where Crichton's waiting, but he's suspicious and pushes her in first. He shoots her and grazes her. Crichton jumps out and locks him out of the room. Durka then runs down to the hangar bay and makes it to the Bari ship, planning to use its cannon as a weapon to kill Moya's baby. He powers it up, but Crichton has thrown one of Rigel's bombs, which explodes and somehow damages the cannon. Pilot regains control of the hangar doors and opens the outer bay doors. Unfortunately, they can't close the inner doors, so Crichton starts getting sucked out of the ship too. 
So Pilot starts shutting in the doors, and Crichton just manages to get inside. Decker says he'll hunt Crichton down and kill him. Crichton says he should get in line, and leaves him to the Nabari. Uh, later, Rigel asks Aaron if Moya is still mad at him, and she says she's still in pain from her protecting her child. Aaron says that he handled himself well, though. Rigel says he beat Durka at his own game, and then Aaron reminds him that he just compared himself to a peacekeeper. And then, finally, there's now the question of what to do with Chiana. As Zan tries to heal her wound on her arm, Crichton asks her how she is. Zan says she's a brat, and leaves. Chiana asks if she gets to stay, and thanks him for what Crichton did for her. Crichton says that Moy is preparing to starburst to get away from the Nabari, but warns her that they have rules. However, she says that when she sees all them following the rules, then so will she. Crichton warns her that he owes her, and the others won't be so easy to get on her side, so she's free to leave if she doesn't want to live by the rules. And as she's walking away, he asks her where she was when Salas died, and she just grins. The end. Alright, some trivia for this show. Uh, the idea for this episode came while filming PK Tech Girl, when the producers realized how effective a rematch between Rigel and Durka could be. And uh, during that explosion scene in the bay, uh, Ben Browder was accidentally set on fire, <laughs> so... The explosion was set off behind him, and he fell into frame as he stated, We were on the, a 20-second delay, and it was a wide angle. I was totally obscured by the flame, and of course, I was smoking from my backside. <laughs> Oops. Gigi Edgeley, who plays Chiana, counted this episode as one of her favorites of the first season. Totally, She says, totally hands down, I think it's my favorite, probably because I was the most frightened, and the most challenged, and the most excited. Plus, she was wearing contact lenses, which gave her total tunnel vision. Uh, when the creators, Rocky O'Bannon, remembered that the ardent fans were up in arms that we had brought somebody else into the, dish, the crew dynamic. He totally understands that. He also mentioned that they wanted to bring in a new young female character, but were preparing her not to stay, particularly if Gigi hadn't worked out. And um, the reasons they, they said for bringing her on were trying to improve the ratings even more, and he stated that the sci-fi channel was trying to find an audience and create a market, and of course, an attractive girl is easy to market. Yeah, well. Uh, whether Chiana did kill Salas was intensely left ambiguous, and uh, Aban also noted that it was the ambiguity that was the point in terms of her character to make her potentially dangerous and someone we weren't sure of. It was something we were doing with all the characters, including Zan, who seemed the most benign of all. Every character in the show has a dark side. They're not necessarily evil, but they have the dark side and their secrets. And uh, finally, the character of Chiana was originally going to be killed off in this episode. The scene where she was shot by Durka was changed, giving her a minor wound and beginning her stay on the show. David Kemper, one of the directors or producers, didn't really tell Edgley that she was going to die in the episode until the season-ending rap party. <laughs> so, surprise, we are going to kill you, but instead we decided not to, and that's why you're still here. Alright, so... Okay, so kind of spoilers after the fact, if you hadn't already guessed, that Chiana is now here to stay. I kind of knew she was a regular when I started watching, because she was already in the story and in the opening credits, but I didn't know where she had come into the series, because up till now, she wasn't here at all. So it was kind of fun to see her origin story what do you think jason yeah and, and as somebody who's completely unfamiliar with the crew well i guess i'll say the extra crew i knew you know, ben browder and a couple of the others but i didn't know what to expect i didn't know the future of the crew and so this one totally uh caught me off guard you know we've had a lot of characters introduced as in each episode that are usually they're killed off or we leave the planet and move on so uh, it was kind of a surprise for me that at the very end they're like oh by the way you're staying and then at the very beginning of the next episode, we see her again, right? So it's kind of like, I just wasn't expecting it. It's kind of cool. Hopefully she'll mesh with the rest of the crew. Obviously she sticks around uh, for a while, so that must be the case. But uh, yeah, didn't see that one coming. Yeah, because I, as I said before, I knew when she, she was there when I started. But yeah, it was kind of fun to see like her kind of origin, like how she's fleshing out her character, like how she first appeared 
you know, how she got on the ship. So it's kind of interesting. And that they're trying kind of making her like ambiguous of, you know, is she good? Is she bad? You know, did she kill Salas? Did she not? Yeah. And we've had quite a few, what, 15, 16 episodes now to get used to the, to get to know the rest of the crew, right? I mean, we don't know everything about them, but we've, we've had insights uh, throughout the episodes into each of the characters. And now we're kind of starting over with another blank slate character that, that we don't really know a whole lot about, except for what we get in this one episode. So it gives them a lot of places to go and, and play with the story as, as they kind of figure out where she fits. Yeah, and it's not unheard of for a TV series to bring in new characters as, as it goes on. Sometimes it doesn't happen right, right in the middle of the season. Usually it's like at the end of a season or beginning of a season, they, they kind of add new people or people leave. But yeah, see if we bring new blood in, see what happens, you know, see how the dynamic changes and although obviously next episode they didn't do anything with her so we'll see more of her obviously but yeah and i'm sure we'll get other new characters introduced as we go through the epi- the seasons so you know probably not the last time but yeah as far as her race goes the nabari uh i don't remember if they show up again or not but they do seem like they could be like a, another potentially good adversary for the crew um and they do have a reason to come back you know chiana the escape prisoner is still out there somewhere and one of the people was killed, maybe by her, maybe not. I'm sure um, Durka's going to say, yeah, it was crazy. She killed everybody and I escaped barely and whatever. So, I mean, they could be looking for Moya now. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, not only could they come back, but Durka could come back, right? I mean, we're, we don't know for sure what his fate is. So, depending on how he spends it. Yeah, if you want to make it the, the trifecta, the Durka trifecta, he can come back for the third time. I don't know. We'll see. That'd be Revenge of the Durka or something like that, you know? So. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, um, so Salas and maybe the Nabari as a whole, not really sure, seem really obsessed with this mental cleansing concept because he apparently thinks everybody, except for him, deserves mental cleansing, whether they're Nabari or not, right? Uh, I mean, the usual joke with sci-fi civilizations is that they're like monolith cultures. You know, everybody believes and acts the same way for you know millions of people even though we only see like two or three people on screen. However, in this case, it seems like maybe that's their entire culture, uh, that the Navari, you know, everybody must conform to whatever the standards of I don't know, society, morals, whatever you call it. And if you don't, they'll make you. Which, which is always an interesting concept, right? Because it always leads to the, the question of who gets to set those rules and morals. You know, this, something has to be the arbiter of acceptable behavior, you know, to, to be the guideline. And we don't really get a glimpse yet in this society on what that is, other than anytime they have anything that deviates from, you know, Solace at least, his, his perceptions, then it's time for mental cleansing, which they may want to get a uh, money back guarantee on that because it seems <laughs> to have flaws. But, um, you know, there, there's a whole lot of uh, gaps when how rigid or how fluid is their morals. Can anybody just say, oh, I don't like what you said, mental cleansing for you? Yeah, because at first you're kind of thinking maybe it's kind of like how they deal with people that break the law, like um, criminals, I guess, for lack of a better word. Like anybody that does anything out of the normal society, you know, if you rob, steal, you know, then rather than imprison you, they just, you know, rewire your brain so that you don't want to do those things. However, I don't know why he thought Zan needed to be cleansed. I don't think maybe she got a little mad at him or something. And, you know, Salas seems pretty like even keel, like not quite emotional a little bit, you know. So maybe that's anybody that kind of gets a little emotional or whatever, it's like, oh, you're a candidate for mental cleansing. I don't know. Yeah, I, I've, I've got in my brain probably completely unrelated, but it, it I keep seeing the uh, uh, relationship to a demolition man in the cryo prisons, right? Where they're going to reprogram you while you're frozen. That's kind of my analogy here is that we're just going to put you on ice. And because he mentioned how long Durko, it took for Durko to be reprogrammed, right? A hundred cycles or whatever. So 
you know, they'll just put them on ice and uh, the cryo prison and have you reprogrammed. Yeah. Although, as you said, it doesn't always work, apparently. Durka apparently broke that conditioning after seeing Rigel or after Rigel tried to kill him a couple of times or he got a you know hard knock on his head. I don't know. Uh, but so not really sure how effective that might be on non-Nabari people. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely glossed over. Was it, you know, the side of Rigel? Was it something that happened to him in the meantime or, you know, with all the, the, the attacks or whatever, the, the, the bomb? Or was it just, you know, never really there and he was faking it the whole time? It's just kind of an interesting question. And I guess the other kind of lingering thing is, did he or Chiana kill Salas? I'm probably going to side with it was him that killed Salas, so he could use it later if he had to, you know, try to frame or use it to get away or get his get what he wants, you know, from the ship from the crew. Yeah, I went the Durka route too, although a lot of that comes from uh, China China being a, a main character uh, or not, when a part of the crew going forward, and you kind of question is that something that that our uh, crew member would have done. But at the same time, I like the fact that they left it ambiguous and it's up to us to try to figure that out going forward. If it even matters, you know, if they ever bring it back up. Yeah. I mean, we'll see how they use Chiana later. We'll see if they try to play off her, you know, you know, is she homicidal or a sociopath or whatever, you know, a free spirit, whatever, quote unquote, whatever. You know, so we'll see if they try and build it up later since they did leave it kind of open-ended as their creators had said in the trivia comments that, you know, we wanted to leave it open, so you know we're not really sure is she good, bad, who knows? But you know, we'll find out. Uh, I guess the kind of the main plot points or main character development points seem to be like Durka, apart, apart from Chiana being introduced, but we we didn't know that at the time. Uh, is Durka and his relationship with both Rigel and Aaron actually? We know about Rigel and the torturing and stuff, but for Aaron, I guess probably in the old, I think in the PK Tech Girl, if I remember right, she was saying something about Durka. I can't remember that he was like an accomplished uh, peacekeeper or whatever. And here again, she even keeps talking about that, that when she's talking with Durka, she's saying how, you know, she admired him. He was a topic of study in Peacekeeper Academy. And he's kind of like, yeah, that's nice, whatever. You know, she, he kind of just totally brushed her off, like, I don't care about that crap. And uh, she kind of obviously eventually loses her hero worship at the end of the episode because, you know, he's knocked her out. He's tried to kill her. He's tried to kill the crew. So she does kind of finally realize what kind of person Durka really is. Yeah, it, it's a nice reminder of, that our idols rarely, rarely live up to the image we have of them. And I think it's also a, a good spot to kind of show us even further that Aaron's moving further away from the peacekeeper mentality, right? I mean, the, the more she's around the crew and the more her relationships form there, uh, she's less... I mean, she's still a peacekeeper and, and has her militaristic tendencies, but uh, her, her ideals and moral compass seems to be shifting a little bit as we go through the season. Yeah, because what we've seen of... Other peacekeepers that we've encountered, obviously we've seen, you know, um, Krace and Durka, but there's been other people like him. Most of them seem to be kind of on like the Durka track, like the full of themselves, not, I don't know what I'm going to call it, evil, but like, you know, cruel, straightforward, brutish. The only people we have seen that's been kind of not that way has been like, you know, like the, the tech side, like the, the tech girl from PK Tech Girl. You know, she was kind of nice and congenial compared to everybody else. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it's finally rubbing off on her or... Maybe she wasn't quite that way because I guess she was a relatively new peacekeeper. I don't know really how old she is or how long she's been a peacekeeper, you know, outside of the training classes and stuff. But yeah, she's finally tr losing, I guess, that brutish charge forward, and, you know, mess everybody up, peacekeeper mentality. And now it's kind of realizing, yeah, maybe that's not exactly the best thing I could have done, probably. Well, and and seeing the shades of gray instead of black and white, you know, that's, it seems it seems to be a big thing in their their culture is black and white. You know, it's, it's either this or that, and she's kind of having to live on that live on that edge. And 
see that there's there's places in between. And Rigel, once again, is uh, showing that he's got courage and a backbone. The last couple of episodes, they've been building on that, where he's not exactly the conniving cheat looking for the easy way out kind of person. Although he is sometimes with, with that all those gaming stuff he was doing in the other episodes with people. But you know, he, oh, he's he's using that to his advantage, not hiding behind it. So right, n- not trying to scheme or steal things from people necessarily. Right, he's using it for a reason. So this time he's you know standing up to Durka. You know, this time he's like taunting and insulting him, saying that was something he should have done back when he was a prisoner for 100 and, 130 cycles, I think he said, way back whenever. And he even ends up to Tiana too. You know, he, he plays her. She comes in saying, hey, you know, I want to get off the ship. You want to kill Durka? Hey, we can make a deal. And as soon as she lets him out of his um, restraints, rather than do what she wants, he immediately calms the rest of the crew and tells, her, tells, him, tells everybody that she escaped. Yeah, that one surprised me because I half expected him to go along with her at least for the first part of the thing. But he he immediately, I mean, she he didn't even get fully untied before he's he's alerting the crew. So I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, so I'm not not sure if he took Aaron's advice to heart about not messing with Durka anymore. Maybe because he realized he almost killed Crichton. So maybe that was a way of, or at least he didn't have another idea what to do. But or he finally just realized, okay, fine, I'm not gonna deal deal with the, him. Maybe the Nabari will deal with him or something. I don't know. Uh, I guess another little kind of funny thing that I, I caught when I was watching the show was um, when Ben Browder in the in the trivia said that he accidentally got caught on a fire during that explosion scene. I did actually see that in the landing bay when, or not actually that was before that. Never mind, sorry. When Durka is shooting at him in the landing bay, he dies behind some crates that are on the floor, like you know stacked up on the on the, I guess making like a little barrier. And when he goes over the crates. You can briefly see like some kind of mats or maybe cardboard boxes that they use when you're jumping on stuff. You can see them kind of land on that before they cut away. So I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somebody wasn't quite paying attention to the cut on that one. <laughs> yeah, because you can see like the mats kind of like scrunch up when he when he goes over the corner. So if he was landing on a hardwood, a hard you know, metal floor, that wouldn't happen. So I was like, ooh, <laughs> continuity error. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. Moya could just have mats laying around just in case. <laughs> yeah, you know, all, 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 always behind these big wall of crates, you need to have a mat because, you know, if you're going to jump over the wall of crates, you want a soft landing. That's how it works. Well, actually, that was Rigel's nap corner. They just kind of fell into it. So Yeah, he's, he's got plenty of little hidey holes on the ship, so he's got his little sleeping bag laying around somewhere. All right, any other comments? or I know we, we both like the story. We thought it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like we said, this this has some good good character growth, which is always a, a kind of a hallmark of a good episode, I think, and uh, a new character, new crew member. So a lot a lot more than I actually expected out of a episode thirteen mid you know pretty much mid season episode. So yeah, and I'm sure we'll see a lot more of her in the next episode, or not. Uh, well, let's see. <laughs> oh, and actually, apparently we I said it was episode. 15 and 16 but our recap i said 13 and 14 so really uh-huh, wrong sorry add one we're on 15 and 16 <laughs> now i'm really confused i hope i watched the right one <laughs> that's what you get when you copy and paste the document each week and forget to change the episode numbers but yeah <laughs> it's definitely 15 and 16 we watched because i had it up at the top but not at the bottom so sorry everybody if we confused you it's 15 and 16 if we confused you, it's just because we're confused. So yeah. it's okay. Plus it'll, be, plus it'll be the episode title and descriptions all over the place anyway. So by the time you get to this point, you'll be like, why are you talking about that? It says 15 and 16. So, hey, whatever. But 
little behind the scenes, yeah. uh, how the sausage is made kind of thing. So Yeah. And, and speaking of episode 16, uh, let's jump into a human reaction. So we open with Zan and China arguing about something that China took from Zan's quarters while Crichton is uh, in the background leaving a message for his dad. And spoiler alert, you know, while we do get some carryover of China from the last episode, this is about it. Um, so we move on. Pilot contacts Crichton and tells him that uh, to go to command immediately. Moya has found a wormhole that just appeared right in front of them. And uh, as they're searching, uh, studying the wormhole, they see through the wormhole a planet, which Crichton identifies as Earth. Then Crichton prepares to launch Farscape 1. And uh, Aaron says she can't go with him because she's not certain that she'll belong there. Zan says that, that the um, trip could kill him because it's unstable, but he says he has to do it because it might be Earth, which he just said it was, so we, we you know, can move on. Crichton tells Dargo that he hopes he'll get to see his son someday, and everyone gets a little choked up. Crichton tells Rigel that he's going to leave all of his stuff and give it to Aaron, but Rigel realizes it's a joke. Aaron peeks around the corner, and he says his goodbyes. Um, Crichton gets to the mouth of the wormhole but hesitates, and Dargo calms him and persuades him to go in despite his fears. Crichton does, and Pilot loses him from sensors. Crichton crash lands on the Australian coast, where he asks the woman who's running on the beach uh, where he is, uh, just as the military come and knock him out with a tranquilizer dart. Uh, we jump to a military base where a man named Wilson is questioning Crichton in a cell. They bring in different foreigners thinking that the translator microbes in Crichton's brain are in fact an alien virus, and have, they have Crichton translate uh, what each of the different foreigners are saying. Uh, Crichton eventually responds that he won't play any more games, so Wilson leaves. Later, he asks the guard, Cobb, when he'll get out. Cobb says he doesn't know, so Crichton asks to read the paper, only to find out uh, what's happened in the seven months that he's been gone. Uh, but when he asks Cobb who won the Super Bowl, Cobb doesn't know. Uh, eventually, Crichton's dad, Jack, comes in and says he wants to see his son. John asks him to get him out of there, and his dad asks what happened on his 10th birthday, checking to see if he's who he says he is. John said his dad was late again because they held him at Houston for tests. But then they woke up, he woke him up at 4 o'clock in the morning just to go fishing. Jack hugs his son, and John asks what's going on, since this is far from the normal recovery procedure. Jack says that nothing's been the same since he left, and the wormhole stayed open. John asks his dad to get him out of there, and he says he will. Uh, eventually, the two of them are walking along the beach, and John says that Wilton would not have just let him go. Uh, his dad shows him a van uh, with two women are watching them and points out some other people kind of around the beach uh, that are watching them also. Uh, he says that Wilson wants him to find out if, it's, if he really is his son and everything about the wormhole and what's on the other side. Uh, they return to the base where John tells one of the workmen that he's doing something wrong. Then he recognizes him as somebody he's met before. The base goes on alert as a transport pod has come through the wormhole and John tells them not to fire since it has no weapons. Uh, we cut to the containment cell on the base with Aaron, Dargo, and Rigel inside. Aaron says the Earth disappeared when he went through the wormhole. Rigel says that it was her idea to go after him and she says she just wanted to get a closer look but then the wormhole sucked her in. Wilson wants to know what they're saying since the other humans can't understand because they don't have the translator microbes. John lets them know that they're scared. Rigel asks why they're treating him like this, to which John replies that they're freaking out, but he says he'll take care of them. Rigel complains that he doesn't feel well, and John says it's because of the tranquilizers that they shot him with. John asks his father what's going on and notices that all the magazines are seven months old. Uh, they must not want him to know anything. He says that they trust the others a lot more than Wilson, that the crew is his friends. A man calls him to the medical bay where they find Rigel cut open and dead. 
John has a go at Wilson and tells Aaron and Dargo that the official word is that Rigel died from allergic reaction to tranquilizers. However, he says that he thinks they killed Rigel, and Dargo says they cut him open to study him. Dargo says that when they come for him, he'll fight. Aaron says that even the peacekeepers wouldn't kill a prisoner to study them, and just tells John to go. Jack then tells John that it was naive to think that he could protect them, and John says that he's going to make Wilson understand. Jack asks if he's willing to die for those creatures, and John says he gave them his word. He goes to the medical room where he finds a man on the ground. Aaron appears and asks if she killed the man, to which John says no. He says he's on her side and she has to trust him. She says they took Dargo, but she was ready when they came for her. John and Aaron find Cobb and they ask him where Dargo was taken. Cobb says he was flown to another base and John takes his gun and knocks him out for Rigel. They leave and Aaron's fascinated by the rain and says she likes it. They go to a house where Jack and John spent some time last year, but Aaron doesn't trust that his dad told him where it was. They go in and drink some beer, which Aaron says tastes like Philip nectar. John apologizes for getting her here and stuck on Moya. He looks out the window and Aaron says he was right. Earth is actually very beautiful. She says they'll have to kill her to capture her, and he says he knows and rests his head on her shoulder. They then kiss. Jump cut to the next morning where Aaron tells John to get out of bed. Aaron's found an uninhabited place to hide, but there's a knock on the door. It's Jack, and Aaron holds a gun to him. She wants John to search him, but he refuses. Jack says he talked to everyone he knows, but no one will help them. Dargo is on his way to a military warehouse, and the official word is that they never existed. He tells them that they have to get out of town. He'll cover for them. He says goodbye, and Aaron says something apparently heartfelt that he understands the emotion of, if not the content, and says, thank you, Aaron's son. Aaron and John walk down the street when John sees the girl who was at the beach. He asks the man at the newsstand why all the magazines are seven months old, but then he recognizes the man as being from the beach the other day also, and says he used to ride his bike past the man's house in the fifth grade. As he thinks about it, he knows everyone around him, and he pulls his gun on Aaron. Every place that he's been so far, he's been to in the past. He goes into a pool hall that's just the way he remembers it, and he knows all the people there too. He's been in the men's room before, but never the ladies' room. So he kicks open the door to reveal an energy barrier. John then goes back to talk to his dad at the military base, who says he did very well. Everything here was a physical recreation from his memory. He's not his father, but the others are real. They were investigating the wormhole, and they were used too. Dargo and Rigel are locked up, and Rigel says that he was treated like royalty. Jack, the ancient, says they needed a human reaction. And there's your episode title. Yep. Uh, He... Product placement right there. Yeah, you know, you got to get it in somewhere. Um, (laughs) He apologizes, but says that John had to believe everything. The ancients only have enough power to transport their race one last time, and uh, they wanted to know how they'd be received if they went to Earth. John goes through the door where there's a hive of aliens. Jack says that they only want to cohabitate on the planet while they land and replenish their hive. The ancients have stories of a world that will welcome them, and they had to know if the humans were that world and would welcome them, or if they would fight. He apologizes for taking John's dad's form, and John asks to see what he really looks like. Surrounded by light, he transforms to his true form, and says that the highest form of life on the planet is often the most destructive, and that they think humans would kill them. He says that they will continue searching for a home, and John says so will he. The Ancient returns Jack's good luck charm, which John gave him earlier in the episode, and uh, says maybe they'll meet again one day. Uh, a little trivia about this episode, uh, Dave Esley built and designed the Ancients. He said, they were huge. The great big pod things were each about nine foot long. 
The set was just big, a big concrete bunker, so these three creatures were really the set. The heads were silicon and full of lights. He also revealed that the eyes of the creatures were inspired by plasma ball lights found in many homes and offices. The insect alien was a rod puppet, and its controls were removed digitally in post-production. Also, uh, the three men who were uh, standing in the men's bathroom scene were played by Anthony Simcoe, out of makeup, episode director Rowan Woods, and production designer Ricky Ayers. Claudia Black was unaware of the cameos until Ben Browder informed her. Chiana appears only briefly in the opening scene due to the fact that the writers hadn't yet figured out what to do with her yet. And uh, the scene showing the morning after with Crichton in bed was not included in the U.S. version, leaving the result of the night before more ambiguous. However, a later piece of dialogue in Mind the Baby confirms that John and Aaron had intimate relations. Thoughts, Eric? Uh, yeah, kind of like what we said earlier, uh, this is also a great episode. I, I loved it. You know, the story was well done. I'll have some little quibbles here and there, but overall the story was great. You know, the acting was great also. And they did have you going for close to maybe half to more than a third, I guess, of the episode that he really was on Earth. Although when he, he kept mentioning all the papers and magazines were seven months old, I was like, eh, okay, that's kind of weird. But then when we obviously saw Rigel's corpse, then I knew for sure that this was some kind of illusion or fake or whatever because, well, I shouldn't say... To me, yes, because I knew obviously Rigel was past this episode, and probably if I even if I didn't realize that, I probably wouldn't think they would kill off a character in the first season. Uh, and then, I guess keeping with my suspicions, John keep asking an Australian soldier who won the Super Bowl. Okay, no problem with that because why would he care? He's Australian, right? So. Yeah, I agree. Um, though I wouldn't put past you know captors to limit your knowledge to the seven months, you know kind of putting you in a familiar time frame and not letting you have extra information. Uh, I kind of associate that with like the Steve Rogers waking up and, you know, then playing the old baseball game on the radio in the background because, you know, they're trying to put you in a comfortable scenario. As far as, you know, did it work uh, tricking you? I, I think I'll, I always suspected that it wasn't going to be Earth Prime, you know, to, to kind of put a label on the real Earth, right? But I, I did go through the normal sci-fi scenarios of is it, you know, an alternate timeline? Is it going to get backed up and erased is it you know uh, I thought they could have done a lot of fun stuff with alternate timeline stuff uh, or alternate reality but it kind of went the Q route which is you know it works yeah or, or maybe like you know somehow John and Aaron would escape back to the pod or the Moya's transport pod go back through the wormhole and somehow go back in time and then they would show up before or Roger he left or something and then you know, Roger's still alive or something you know that's kind of the, right in, yeah. in the back of my head too of the, okay there's a sci-fi trope right maybe that they're pulling that one off you know yeah because I agree with you you know the killing of, of Rigel obviously we knew they weren't going to do that but it could have there's so many ways they could have undone it, it, it and still had the, the place be real that I was kind of playing with it for a little while until we actually got the reveal which you know I kind of find interesting because it felt like and this is not a knock because I enjoyed the story but it felt like they spent so much time on the setup that when he finally had the realization and you had the the reveal of the aliens, it felt very rushed, right? You know, I almost would have liked this episode to be another 30 minutes just because there's so much on the back end they could have done with the aliens that they just didn't have time for because they did such a good job setting up the first part. Yeah, or maybe even make it like a two-parter, which there will be two-parters later, if I remember. But yeah, maybe have everything be believable and then maybe at the end of the first 
act or first not first act first episode you know they, they come in when like Rigel's dead you know oh my god you know and then cut next episode what's gonna happen right so, yeah but yeah it was a little kind of like okay we, we, we all the touchy-feely okay he's back on earth oh something's going wrong oh look aliens and then you know <laughs> oh it's all just a dream yeah. that's all just a dream not really but you know <laughs> yeah and that's not a knock so like i said i really liked it i just mm-hmm. i liked it so much i would have liked it to be more yeah and then because the, they, they do spend probably several minutes in the opening where john's getting ready to leave and if that's his final time he's saying goodbye to everybody you know to each person except for chiana because you know she's gone um but <laughs> But she was there. That's an interesting point because oh, was she it? was okay. in, 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 well, she was in the scene with uh, Zan. And then when they say goodbyes, they don't even mention her. She just kind of was in a room, I guess. So. Yeah. And I guess really, didn't really have much to say to her other than like, yeah, hey, good luck. Right. But, but everything he was saying. To and that may have been a filming issue, right? They may have, they may have already had this part filmed and then they brought her back just to do the opening part. Who knows? So. Yeah. But I mean, the way he was basically telling everybody maybe his final goodbyes was, was really touching. I mean, you really, believed or could believe that you know if they were wrapping up the series at episode 16 that okay you know thanks a lot everybody really appreciate you know good luck with everything you know see ya yeah yeah it, it, they've come a long way from the antagonistic relationships they had in the beginning right you know now we're we're actually a, a caring yeah family it's not quite the word but you know uh, dysfunctional family <laughs> yeah because you know Crichton's gone and they, they know where he went but then they still kind of came to see was he okay or not into earth they, they got pulled up by accident they said but that, that little trope the little, if the, you believe aaron right yeah well you know, so you know that little trope of well he's gone see ya you know <laughs> at least we're done with that <laughs> hopefully right so and i guess unfortunately or, or stereotypically or whatever this is how earth's various militaries and, and politicians would react to a human coming back from space for months with alien technology and then later real live aliens lock them up study them and dissect them. I mean, I, I hate to think that it's a stereotype, but I think that's pretty much what any kind of military on this planet would do. They would want to dissect the technology and the creatures, regardless of whether that's a good idea or not, just because that's how humans are, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, you know, especially, you know, if you think about like the, the one of the first things they did was do a health check on him and see he's got alien bacteria in him, you know, and while they're beneficial, and John knows that, he's lived with them for, months at this point in, in a reality you know we're gonna they're gonna isolate that person and, and study them a lot longer in just a couple of days before they allow somebody in without a containment suit that was that was one of the you know i realized the story had to move faster but it was kind of interesting to see them let his dad barge in when you know with no containment so mm-hmm. and even back in the second episode of the series i remember that when john has the same kind of you know, john's alien on another planet and then Dargo shows up. He's like, "Yeah, the milita- this military is going to do, you know, can take us back and like dissect us." So it's like, "Yeah, this is the military mindset. Everything's a potential enemy. Analyze, learn, that kind of thing." So. And uh, I guess this time we do finally see indirectly that Aaron and Crichton finally let their feelings go all the way. You know, we don't obviously see anything because it's a you know family TV show, probably eight o'clock Fridays on Sci-Fi, so they're not going to go that crazy. But apparently that happens, and since the agents say that. The rest of the crew was real, so obviously this really happened. So I'll be curious to see now that stuff's happened, how that developed their their relationship in future episodes. Yeah, I, you know, as I kind of we kind of mentioned earlier, probably the only one of the, and I'm not going to call it a nitpick because I do appreciate where they spent the time, but I was kind of expecting there to be a little more shown with the the crew getting reunited on Moya, right? And and instead we get 
an abrupt episode ending without actually seeing them come back together and, and what happens after the, the wormhole. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where that gets picked up and, and moved forward uh, once they're back on board. Yeah, because that's some of the questions I have with the episode in general of not the pacing necessarily, but kind of like the plot, like how what was real, what wasn't. Obviously, what Crichton was experiencing on quote-unquote Earth was fake, because all his memories. But when did the aliens find out about Crichton? Did they know he was there before and put the wormhole in front of the ship to draw them to it? Or was, the, was, that, was all that fake? Was the wormhole not even there? It was all in the memories already. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that's an interesting question of how, how much can they physically... Was it something that physically looked like a wormhole, but wasn't really a wormhole? Because we're guessing they don't have the power to actually create a wormhole. Although they do have the ability to travel, right? So, but, you know, every, everything that you see is a physical manifestation of, of things they got from Crichton's brain. So they they had to know where it was to start with to make the wormhole. So, yeah, we, we don't really see where they first started paying attention to him at. Yeah, so so if that was true, that, you know, you know they, they put the wormhole in front of the ship, then Crichton went in, started having his recreation then when Aaron and them came up they got pulled in so now they're part of it whereas Moya pilot Zan and Shiana aren't because they, they didn't go into the thing that could be now, now I'm thinking about it but then the yeah, obviously then it's over so are they gonna get back on Firescape 1 and the pod and then leave the wormhole quote-unquote and then go back to the ship I guess yeah yeah we were just kind of left with how did they get back how did how did it and, you know, that, that was very, they left you hanging, which is kind of an interesting way to do it. Um, I think it also makes the, the aliens kind of jerks because they obviously <laughs> knew how to get to Earth and didn't share it. They just were like, well, you know, Earth's not for us. See you later. And they split. So it would have been nice to share some of the information, the maps or something. So, mm-hmm. But then we have too short of a show. So I, I get it. They, they looked into the future and saw that we needed more episodes. So. Yeah, right. And it's only 45 minutes. You want to spend time on the drama not the like five minutes of well we're back that was weird you know and you know zan and them are like where were you well let me see. you know so yeah fine we know so i i actually picture that's how they end every episode well we're back that was weird and then they walk <laughs> off right <laughs> wow that was strange let's hope we never see those again yeah yeah <laughs> which who knows i mean it's it's nice to see kind of friendly aliens you know they weren't hostile so not everybody that they meet in this uncharted territories is out to kill them or exploit them or use them. Although I guess you could say they were kind of using them to find out if earth was a place they could go, but um, at least they weren't going to go to take over the earth. Well, so they say, I mean, they, 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 they seem friendly. Jack, quote unquote, Jack kind of was pretty much playing the part of Crichton's dad that we saw in the first episode to a T, you know, he was caring, nice, kind. He even at the end when he reveals himself was still benevolent and nice and wasn't lording his power or, you know, abusing anything. He was just, you know, hey, this is how we learn. We want to make sure, you know, we have this prophecy or whatever you want to call it, that we're, we're going to find, you know, someone that will take us to where we want to go. It just didn't seem like it was this time. Yeah, but it, to, to counter that, they also played the part of the bad guys and the, the military and the, the people who, it, while it didn't really happen, they made John think that they killed and cut up Rigel. So, I mean, they, they were the good guys, but they were the bad guys. The aliens were both parts in this episode. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like, what kind of simulation is this it's kind of like a holodeck kind of thing like they're, they're mining Crichton's memories for people and i guess as they set up this creation or whatever it's either got a mind of its own or it just runs or however it works you know like a program or hol- well, I'm, I'm thinking like holodeck program but like star trek but whatever however it works 
did they kind of pull out of Crichton's memories eventually that, yeah, probably the military is going to want to study, dissect, and not trust aliens. And then that's how the thing unfolded based on his subconscious or his memories or whatever, or or what, but yeah. Uh, and were all the NPCs other aliens? Hmm, good point. Yeah, would they, they be playing the part of it? Because obviously there were, if there's a whole race of people, a race of beings, we, we saw like three or four giant little pods, so they must be inside, whether you know they're miniaturized or just a DNA kind of thing or, or whatever. So yeah, I mean, who knows? Interesting. I, I kind of picture this, you, know, this, you can say this for the whole season, right? We're kind of doing the first season of Star Trek, we've got to set up all the alien races. You know, some of them we can come back to, some of them we don't, but we're kind of world building still. So it's kind of neat to, to have all these things that you could come back to at any point. So, Yeah, because it's so new and it's a different show and a different you know, universe kind of thing that pretty much they can get away with anything. They can just say this alien can do these things because we say so, because it's the first time we're seeing them. We don't know anything about them. So, hey. Yeah. And if they show up again, we've got an established, you know, person we could reuse. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if they do show up later or not. I can't remember. These may not. I'm just saying in general, that's kind of the beauty of it, is that any of these people, if they if they click, you can just you know bring them back anytime you want to. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I mean, there's stuff with wormholes later, obviously, because that's kind of the whole point of why we're here where we are. So you know, we'll see if they come back later or if it's somebody else. And it was kind of fun, I guess, seeing Crichton figure out that it was all his memories, not, not reality, uh, which starts figuring out that everybody he sees is people he, he knew, whether personally, like, you know, I drove past your house in the fifth grade all the time, or Wilson and Cobb, who he knew from the program, and then just people in general. Like, I guess, you know, there's pulling people's pictures out of your head of, you know, if you're walking, you know, like, coworkers or neighbors or friends or just people you walk past on the street, if you at least had in your memory of kind of what they kind of lately look like, and that you can populate the world with people, right? So it's kind of fun for him to figure out that these are all people from his past, not present. And then that's probably why everything was seven months old, because he has no, no knowledge of what happened after he left. Therefore, why were the aliens to set it up that way? Right. And, it's, and of course, it makes for the uh, fun reveal when the Matrix glitches and you have the same person repeated. So, <laughs> And of course, it's fun because I guess Crichton's never been in a woman's restroom in his life, so they couldn't pull that from him or at least not that woman's restroom in the bar, in the pool hall. Yeah, I think I would have had fun with that scene and just had it be like the same as the men's restroom, including the same three guys standing there. You know. <laughs> right. so. Yeah, and then it's like, wait a minute, that's not possible. <laughs> but yeah, so overall, yeah, it was a pretty good episode. Yeah, I, I think we definitely had, had good ones, both both of these. You know, Like we said, kind of at the top, these were good uh, mid-season towards the end of the season i guess um downhill up yeah you know on the on the upswing up episodes and you know we get we get a little bit of world building and we get a little bit of uh new characters so pluses yeah and hopefully now the writers have had a, a episode off how long it takes to film one of those like a week or two so now maybe next episode they'll have more chiana we'll find out speaking of which uh next time and these are labeled correctly from our previous conversation <laughs> will be season one episode 17 through the looking glass and season one episode 18 a bug's life i can if you want to play guess the episodes i hope that through the looking glass isn't like a reference to like mirror mirror star trek things like that where we're gonna have like an alternate reality of where you know the crew's evil or something i hope not it's definitely gonna be alice in wonderland themed that's my my guess yeah that's what i was thinking <laughs> like some kind of alice like fantasy psychedelic whatever 
We'll see. I don't know. I, I kind of got that vibe off the off the title. And then A Bug's Life was co-produced by Pixar, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> that was a movie from the '90s from Pixar, <laughs> I think '90s, which would be when this episode was around when it's filmed. So who knows? But the only bugs we've seen so far were those. Um, was it the Drac from the one episode where they look like the crew and then they breed and they leave? I don't think they're coming yeah. back. I don't. But they, I haven't seen this. I don't know. But they weren't really that interesting before. So hopefully it's not them again. <laughs> now, hopefully we get a different set of bugs. Maybe maybe this is a different bug thing to planet. Yeah, it's a big universe. There could be lots of different bugs out there that are sentient and whatever. Who knows? All right. So that's your homework for next time. Episode 17 and 18. And we will see you next time. Goodbye.